0: I think the, the only way to follow a song like that is to talk about fried chicken. And uh, and just a heads up, that's what we're about to do. Um, I'm fully aware that as a people, we just got off of a holiday, probably the biggest eating weekend of the year. But this whole series has been about food, so we're, we're going to talk about it for one more week. And, and although turkey would be insanely easy, I, I want to talk a little bit about fried chicken. It is no secret that this child of the Commonwealth of Kentucky loves fried chicken. Now often I'm asked, is it because of Kentucky fried chicken? And I have to say no. Uh, We were not able to eat at our local Kentucky fried chicken. And notice the wordage that I'm using, able versus allowed. Able because ours was often shut down by the health department. And so you could only eat there in certain windows. It was normally right after they opened it, safe. A few weeks later, you're on your own. (laughs) But I am constantly in search for fried chicken that reminds me of my grandmother's. This particular style, it takes me home. It takes me back to my roots in the spiritual way of those memories of sitting around my grandmother's table in the hottest kitchen in western Kentucky eating food that she has prepared for her family. And for those wondering, the style that i found that's the closest to here is probably Bobby's Country Kitchen, but it is in no way my nanny's chicken. But the reason why I love this particular meal so much, why I have such a spiritual connection to fried chicken is because of the chef, and more specifically, my nanny. Uh, To my knowledge, my nanny has never told a lie. Even if she had to hurt your feelings, she told you the truth, and she to this day, does not care if it offends you or not. She's going to tell you what she's thinking. As a kid, when you were doing something dumb or silly in your life, and you showed up at Nanny's house, you were told to give Nanny some sugar, and then she'd talk to you. She'd always ask you how you were doing, and also tell you how everybody else was doing, and what they should be doing. But in these moments, there were these real honest conversations that I had with my grandmother, I never thought that my grandmother was lying to me or pretending to be someone who she wasn't. She doesn't care what anyone thinks of her because she is nanny. Now, I've used my children with a recipe about apple pie. We've talked to Carrie Hankins about bread, and Sandy Johnson shared cookies last week. But over Thanksgiving break, I went home and I sat down with my nanny to talk about fried chicken. And we're going to in just a moment show you a short clip I want to emphasize that I couldn't use everything that in that video uh, because a lot of the conversation was Nanny sharing stories about people in my family that they probably didn't want uh, to be used in a sermon. But that conversation was beautiful and it was wonderful. And, and we'll, as we've done every single week, we will share that full video on how to make fried chicken this afternoon on our Facebook page. But Jack, if you're ready, let's go ahead and play still, it. Are we still waiting to flip them? We're still waiting. Before we turn them. Have you ever made a bad batch of fried chicken? I ain't never made a bad batch of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. So are you checking for anything before you flip them? I'm checking to see how brown they're getting. See, that one's just about ready to turn. So there was no, there's been no timer set at all. But, I mean, is there, like, can you hear a difference in the Oil or anything like that. It's just you know when it's time. I just know when it's time. Okay. So this this one right here, right there. I was gonna to point to it. Yeah. That's the the color that we're looking for. That's the color we're looking for. Yeah. Right so you you haven't messed with the temperature at all this whole time. No. So when you would make this with your mother. I mean, what what were you doing? Like, were you just preparing dinner, or were you, like, talking? Like, what were you doing as you got this stuff figured well, out? Oh, that's been so many years ago, Bryce, I don't know. <laughs> Nanny, I asked if you, if you thought, there's anybody that made fried chicken better than you? I said, I don't know, and I don't know anything, don't want to know them. <laughs> I, I told Whitney once that I don't think I've ever heard you tell a lie, uh, because, even if it hurt your feelings, you're gonna tell it. Well, you know me, I'll say what I think. <laughs> have you always been like that? Always. <laughs> you know, I got thrown out of eighth grade. Did you really? For hitting the teacher across the nose with my notebook. You hit the teacher? Well yeah. Ooh. Was it provoked or well he stuck his nose where he didn't have no business? <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to know why my grandmother got kicked out of the eighth grade, uh, thank you. Um, you watch the rest of the video. And I want to emphasize that there's probably three minutes of learning how to do fried chicken, and the rest is stories um, like that. But, but thank you, Nanny, for sharing a little bit of your time. But as you can probably tell, I'm leaning heavily into the concept of honesty this morning. It is something that, in my humble opinion, that is missing from the church. See, often the church presents itself as something that it's not. In a recent poll from IPAS, uh, one of the largest areas of mistrust identified by respondents was the church, and more specifically, pastors. They were rated the lowest of anybody. Think about that. In today's age, the church has, still has a trust problem. But why is that? Again, I think it's because sometimes we pretend to be something that we're not. A few weeks ago, uh, I went to Dr. Westbrook's lecture at UAMS, and as I was preparing to leave and I was getting into my nice professional clothes, I made this comment to Whitney that it would be good for me to be around some fellow doctors. You can imagine uh, Whitney's face when I said this to her and her saying, please don't say that when you get there. Half joking, of course, but because I'm not that type of doctor that needs to stand up on an airplane uh, like we see in this next clip from Saturday Night Live. Play that one. Afternoon passengers, this is your captain speaking. Clear skies ahead. We should be landing in Newark in three hours. You okay, babe? Ooh, babe, I think the baby's coming. Oh, my God. Excuse me, everyone. My wife is in labor. Is there a doctor on board? Please, we need a doctor. Is anyone a doctor? I'm a lawyer. (laughs) What? That's not what we need. I'm just saying, pretty good job, you know? If it's not. If it's not a doctor. Second best job is a lawyer. Who cares if lawyer is the second best job? Is anyone in here a doctor? Oh, thank God. Oh, um, I'm not a doctor. I just wanted to say I don't think lawyer is the second best job. Uh, nobody cares right now. Uh, I care. If lawyer is not number two, then what is? I mean, got to be engineer. Okay, let me guess, you're an engineer? No, I'm a lawyer. Um, I just genuinely believe engineer is number two. All right, hold on, hold on. How is engineer number two? How is lawyer number two? Well, being a lawyer is hard. Sometimes an innocent man goes to jail and then you don't get paid. I agree. Lawyer sounds hard and I should know, I also have a hard job. Thank you, what do you do? I'm a teacher, so I teach future lawyers and doctors. Boo! Okay, so I wanted to show that clip because we've all been in those situations where we have an opportunity to pretend that we're somebody that we're not. Like, going to the UAMS lecture, I could have easily said, yes, I'm a doctor as well, but that would have not been appropriate in any sense. But, But I use that clip because sometimes, like the people in that video, the church tries to be perfect. We tend to have this desire to look like we are people without blemishes, without errors, and often wonder where this comes from. But to go back to my original question, why, why doesn't the world trust the church anymore? I think a lot of it has to do with church hurt. People have been broken or disappointed in the way that the church has behaved. And additionally, people feel like they can't connect with the church anymore. Perhaps they feel like they aren't good enough or worthy enough to be a part of this community. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want to unpack this passage just a little bit this morning because our understanding of how it is applied in our lives can alter the way that we exist. This notion of perfection is one that the world often associates with church members. They've never made a mistake. They think that they're perfect. They're just a group of people who think that they are perfect and have it all together, and they couldn't imagine welcoming someone who doesn't have it together like they do. But I'd like to challenge this translation just a little bit. The word that Jesus is using is teleos, which is often translated in other places as mature or complete. And do you see how that specific understanding of this word may change how we apply this passage? The goal may not technically be perfection, but attempting to the best of our abilities to live and model the ways of Christ. There's another story that we see about just doing our best that's rooted in 2 Kings. There's a king in in the seventh year of Jehu. Joash became king. If you're familiar with kings, it's kind of like every other king is a good king. That's that's not technically accurate, but it's pretty close. They don't have a ton of good kings, but Joash is a good king. And he did right in the eyes of the Lord all the years the priest instructed him. And so what he decides to do is he wants to rebuild the temple. He tells them to collect all the money that is brought as sacred offerings to the temple of the Lord. The money collected in the instance, the money received from personal vows, and the money brought voluntarily to the temple. Let every priest receive the money from one of the treasures. Then use it to repair whatever damage is found in the temple. And he continues that the money brought in the temple was not spent for making silver basins. Wick trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, or any other articles of gold or silver for the temple of the Lord. It was paid to the workers who used it to repair the temple. Now all of this is just kind of like we're, we're building up to this point. Because I want you to see how people viewed these individuals. They did not require an accounting from those to whom they gave money to pay the workers. Because they acted with complete honesty. The money from the, uh, the guilt offerings, the sin offerings, was not brought into the temple of the Lord. It belonged to the priest. But do you see this idea that their reputation was such that they were honest, that they were transparent, that they didn't need accounting to take, to take place in the situation because they trusted people. We talked a little bit about the church has an honesty problem. But the church also has a trust and transparency problem too. When we talk about what people are looking for in a church, I believe that honesty and transparency is there. We do our best here to be transparent with how we spend money. A few weeks ago we we do our quarterly update where the Talits and Bruce Binkley they get together and they let you guys know where all the money that you're contributing goes to. We don't want to be a church that when you ask about, hey, where are you spending this money? They're like, it's none of your business. Like we want to model this mentality of we are honest, we are transparent, and that is what we're doing. Because again, honesty and transparency is crucial. But I want to go to the next step of this and talk about jars of clay. Not these guys. 90s Christian band reference, not a lot of you are getting, that's cool. Um, They were really cool, just a heads up, side note, really cool. Um, But again, uh, not these guys. I want to talk about literal jars of clay for just a moment. Because one of the communities that Paul wrote to were known for their jars of clay. See, we, we know the Corinthians for a lot of their church problems, mainly what they did wrong. And the church of Corinth also gives us a few glimpses of church order that we see in their community. And a lot of the things that we do today are modeled after what we see from the Corinthian church. But during the time of Paul, they would have been known for their pottery as well, not just all of the problems that they had. They would often make these smooth, beautiful jars made out of the finest clay, and people from all over the ancient world would have been in awe with these creations. But sometimes these jars weren't perfect. Sometimes the the clay wasn't the best that was available. And when the finest clay wasn't readily available, they still had to do something with the clay. They still had to use it. They didn't want to just give up because it wasn't perfect, which is what Paul is leading us to in this section where he talks about jars of clay. Paul writes in verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. It's in these verses that Paul may not be talking about these fancy jars of clay that we often associate with Corinth. Paul might actually be talking about these cheap pottery lamps that came from Corinth as well. Because of the thinness of the clay and how they were made, these particular vases were let out more light and people used them when, things were, when they were traveling in the darkness. You see it. There's still value and usage in something that was frail or cracked. These lamps were not discarded because they weren't perfect or smooth. Rather, they had a purpose to emit light in darkness. But it is the imperfection or the frail form of these lamps that also made it clear that the light comes from another source. Which is where Paul connects this idea that his frailty ought not to make it obvious that the power is coming from God and not himself. I refuse to believe that people are looking for the perfect church, a group of people who have it all together and have never made a mistake. And if I'm honest, those people don't sound fun and they don't exist either. But I do believe that people are looking for a community of believers who are committed to one another, a group that is honest and transparent. A group of believers that at times may have doubts and questions and wrestle with those. But instead of denying access to those individuals, we are willing to walk through those seasons with them. It's no lie that this, these past few months have been difficult for me. It's been hard as a pastor of this church to walk through a lot of the hurt that we've experienced. And a few weeks ago, I sat down with the Gardner family and one of the sisters asked me something along the lines of, Why did this happen? When I went to seminary and when I went to training, when they talked about people passing, they were talking about Nana who died of 105 years old and had the best life. Not sudden loss. Not loss that is surprising and painful. And so as I sat with them, the preacher in me wanted to give them scriptures. Like, hey, let's let's open the Bible and see what God says. But the pastor in me just wanted to hug them. Because in that moment, I didn't have the perfect answer, but I had a broken response. And sometimes that's more than enough. Furthermore, people are looking for a church that says, hey, we have some cracks, we have some blemishes. But through those imperfections, the love of God is shown in our lives. We have always been a church that shares our struggles, that shares our doubts, that rejoices with the highs and cries with the lows. We do not claim to have all the answers and do not claim to be perfect. We are like jars of clay, some with cracks, some with blemishes, but all working to do and to love in the complete way that God calls us to love. See, friends, the point of church is not perfection. It's discovering that there is beauty in our imperfection. And when we realize this and we live in a way that shows the complete work of God in our broken lives, people will want to be a part of that because it's real, because it's honest, and it feels a lot like home. Let's stand and sing together.